Hello and welcome to Arcadis at MIPIM, a special series of five programmes focusing on the future of real estate. We'll hear about the buildings we live and work in and the biggest challenges facing our cities. Today we're in Germany looking at the business of getting from A to B, not people, but logistics. It became sexy. You know, it's probably the most popular asset class in the moment. With deliveries the only way many of us could shop during the lockdown, retail has changed forever. We have to release the expectation pressure from the customers that they want to have everything in, in the shortest time possible. But what has all this done for the environment, the shops and for the people who make it happen? And how do we solve the challenges of sustainability and fairness? You don't need to be the cheapest one or the fast one, but the most reliable one and the most sustainable one. That's all ahead on Arcadis at MIPIM. And a very warm welcome to today's programme. Joining me are... Raymond Petzmann, Vice President, Zalando Real Estate. Uh, hello, my name is Gordon Mauer, Head of Logistics in Arcadis. Thank you both for joining me today. Now, while none of us went very far last year, and much of this year as well due to the pandemic, with the click of a mouse, the world came to us. Everything from a sourdough starter to socks. If you could move it, you could buy it. Today, we're talking about logistics, the system of getting products to people, looking at the sticking points, the all-important first and last miles, the environment and the people who make all this happen. Raymond, logistics has become an incredibly important part of our lives, hasn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think it's the pivot point always of, of everything in the moment. You know, it became sexy as well. You know, everyone is talking about logistics. We have logistic buildings. You know, it's probably the most popular asset class in the moment. And, you know, everything has to move. People want to have it quicker. They want to have it in the best quality. So logistics is just the place to be in the moment. Um, Gordon, you're working in the sexiest asset class. How do you feel about that? I feel very sexy as well, because as Raymond said, this is a growing asset class. This asset class is recognized more in the market with stable incomes and high transaction rates, but also the working conditions in a warehouse, in a logistic building, they have improved a lot since the last years. And as the shopping behavior changed with the people, also the, the warehouses and the logistic processes will need to change as well. So. Yeah, I feel good with it and I'm pretty confident that we will keep working on logistic buildings for the next 10 or 15 years. Uh, Raymond, I'm quite interested to find out what the journey actually involves of getting a parcel to my house. I mean, how many stages are there? How many buildings does it have to go through? That's depending where you live, of course. So, But usually I would say it has at minimum two touch points. It's also always going in a parcel hub and then from the parcel hub in the local delivery station and then, of course, in the delivery van and then it should arrive at your home. And all this really intensified, didn't it, during the pandemic? How much did your operations have to change? One challenge was, of course, to, to manage the pandemic. That was the first thing. You know, how can we keep our people safe and healthy? That was the first thing we had to do. At the same time, we had really big increase on demand. And with the increase of demand, we had to send out more parcels out. And, of course, the whole system was quite stressed. Uh, also, the parcel companies getting so many parcels from all the e-commerce companies was certainly a challenge for the entire system. So we definitely had to adjust in, in many ways. How much did you have to expand your businesses? I mean, were you in a race to find new warehouses, new suppliers? 
Fortunately, not new warehouses because we had already the warehouse capacity to do it, but it was stress. And of course, the growth has accelerated. So we are seeing it now that we are looking for additional warehouses and working with companies like Acardis to to identify space and build the, the space for the for the future. But fortunately, during the pandemic, we could deal with the buildings available to us. So, Gordon, tell us when someone like Zalando comes to Arcadis and says, find me a new space, identify a new space for me. Where do you look and what do you look for? We as Arcadis have very strong sustainability targets internally, but also for our clients. So our aim is not to find so many greenfield sites for new logistic developments, but rather look for brownfields, which are on the market, which are to be redeveloped. And those are proper locations to develop new warehouses. They have a good connection to cities. They have mostly a good connection to highways, to streets. So this is our aim to redevelop such brownfield sites with new logistic buildings. And how easy is it to find? Because I imagine that locations like that have suddenly become incredibly popular. That is right. So there is a big competition for the best locations, not only for logistic buildings, but also for residential buildings. And when it's about locations within cities, so for city logistics, there's a strong competition, but also outside of, of cities, it's quite difficult to find proper locations uh, to develop new buildings. And how much... Um Raymond, is this factored into when you're choosing a location and when you're expanding? The issue that logistically it has to be convenient, that's the entire purpose of the location, but also you have to be a good neighbour as well. And it is not often the case that a large warehouse, which let's face it isn't always utterly beautiful, might not be a welcome addition to an area. You're absolutely right. So that's at least a perception out there. Of, of course, we, we believe that our warehouses, we try them to make them as attractive as possible, but it, it remains a warehouse, that's for sure. And of course, the challenge is also, you know, be in a logistical convenience space where you can actually reach a lot of people. At the same time, you have huge requirement on the labor pool because we have something like 1,500 to 2,500 people working for us. And of course, you need to be close to this pool. Fortunately, there's a correlation. If you're in a very dense area, populated area, there's also people, but not always a lot of people looking for jobs. And being a neighbor, a good neighbor, is a very important part for us to involve people from the beginning, the neighbors, and involve them during the planning discussion, try to get some additional greenery and make it as convenient as possible also for those people that they are not disturbed. And that's something what we're trying. And by the way, a warehouse is not a, a cross-docking facilities. So from a truck traffic is not so bad, fortunately. Yeah. Fortunately not. But uh, you know, no one really likes to live next to a road which is full of lorries. It is, it's something that's a balance that clearly you, you, you have to strike. And also let's talk about the environmental elements of this, Gordon. The environment has been a huge driving subject, especially at MIPIM this week. The big question is, is how can you build a zero carbon warehouse? We need to rethink the entire design process, the, the construction process, and also the ability to, to demolish the buildings in the future. We usually consider very, very detailed BIM models to develop, to plan such buildings. Gordon, if you could explain to us what is... BIM. Um, it stands for Building Information Modeling, but you mentioned there it helps you to make a decision based on the entire lifespan of the building. What does it do? 
So BIM itself is unlocking the data of an asset over the entire life cycle. Put all the information and data in just one model to have a kind of a digital twin of an asset. Sounds a little complicated, but, but it's, BIM is not a single software application. It starts with the 3D model, but there are many parameters and applications built on top of the 3D model, which provide information about overall program or about costs of an asset, but also any environmental or sustainability parameters. For instance, if you change the, the structure of a building from concrete to timber, just by pressing one button, we can say what is the impact on the cost, on the program, and on the sustainability, on the carbon footprint of a building, just by changing some families within a BIM model. And how willing are clients often to pay a little bit more for a building which is more sustainable? Uh, when it is about a client who owns the building over the entire life cycle, they are very much interested in using BIM models because they can model and simulate whatever happens during the entire life cycle. But uh, legal requirements, environmental requirements change in the future and whatever building owner there is, they will have to be transparent in the carbon footprint, in the energy consumption, in the entire construction of a building, and they need to prove it to authorities and other institutions. So they need to follow any BIM requirements in the future. And when it comes, Raymond, to actually making decisions about investing in green technology, how much have you had to change your approach at Zalando, realizing that the direction of travel is very much in a sustainable way of Building, delivering, collecting, and manufacturing. You know, construction industry is almost 40% of the CO2 emission worldwide. So you have to do something. And it's not only zero net carbon uh, operations. It's also that you have to look in the materials. How can you recycle? And brownfields is also a very important part. So I'm, I'm proud to say that we take it serious. And also, you know, when it comes to decisions, it costs a little bit more. It costs even really something more than we do it to have the sustainability considered. Yeah. You can understand, though, when people say that consumer behaviour is a huge part of this and the environmental impact of it. We now live in a world of huge and rapid demand for fashion in, within a day, which arguably Zalando has played an enormous part in. Do you accept that some people might see that you actually and your company may contribute to the problem? So we, that's what we acknowledged. Of course, we would acknowledge it. So the fashion industry is also a contributor. And that's also that we do more than just buildings. We talk to our vendors, to our brands to reduce the carbon emission. We're looking in the transportation system. So we really have a holistic view to reduce it as much as possible. Also with the fashion industry that, you know, we get more recycled material and not this fast fashion really going into this very cheap material. On the other side, you have to see that there is this behavior gap, you know, that the customers, if you ask them, they always want to be more sustainable, but the shopping behavior is not always the same. Could you ever see a day, though, when you can turn around to a consumer and say, if you wait another couple of days, then your parcel will arrive and the carbon impact will be less? Or I think it's what 70% of many orders just get sent back. For example, if I buy a dress, I'll buy it in three sizes to make sure it fits. And I know that two-thirds of what I've bought is coming back. And those are little things which are habitual and behavioral, which are arguably contributing to the problem. Yeah, I fully agree. And I, I could imagine that we do this. You know, if the customer worked with us together, then of course we do it. It's always hard to talk about 
customer education. That's that's difficult to do it, that you tell them don't send it back just for the sustainability reason. But to raise awareness is certainly a, an important point. And that's what we, what we have to do and we acknowledge to do it. You're listening to Arcadis at MIPIM. Let's look now at the issue of logistics in the city. The first and the last mile are arguably the trickiest. It's easy enough, Raymond, isn't it, to order 10,000 dresses from China, but delivering one to just one person's house is much tougher, isn't it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. That's certainly a challenge is on the way. But of course, in the city, it's very complex because you have very small areas to deliver. And also the expectations of the customer with quick commerce and everything, you know, sometimes to have it in one hour, that's certainly a challenge for us. Is there something to be done about the inconvenience we experience as customers? Let's say you're out, the parcel's sent away, another delivery has to be booked for another day. It takes time, it takes effort, and it also blocks the streets. Gordon, what would you have as an idea? If we use more city logistic hubs where people can pick their parcels, uh, that saves a lot of additional traffic, a lot of additional delivery times and, and reduces the retours. So this saves a lot of time for people, for the consumers, and saves a lot of money for the logistic companies. And this is all about awareness and also education and being an open and transparent platform for the logistic companies so they still keep the data of their final customers, but share common platforms and common logistic hubs. Tell us a little bit more about what investment you have to put into the final mile, Raymond. I think research by McKinsey says that the last mile takes up 50% of the cost of delivery of one item. What do you think of the idea that Gordon has just had, which is you delegate everything to one logistics company within one city? Would that work? I'm afraid it would probably not work in the current environment so because we had this already in the past. That you know There was ideas to collaborate, but it's very difficult because of data sharing. There might be a way in the future with digitalization. Of course, you can imagine if it's more kind of an Uber system, actually the parcel can almost decide which way to take. And there's not so much involvement of sharing data and having alignment upfront. It's more about empty uh, free capacity. Then it's possible, and I guess it will be in the future, but I also think the customer will put a lot of pressure out of it. I think the future is more about accuracy, you know, that you have maybe a fixed delivery time and you get consolidated all parcels, because what you see now is sometimes you have actually, especially in home office, we all experience that sometimes the delivery man <laughs> rings five times, you know, with different parcel companies, and that's probably something what the customer will not accept any longer and saying, you know, I, I want to have more accuracy and rather have the two parcels delivered on one day. And it's not so important whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday. And I guess it will happen. We are not quite there yet. That's the, the short answer. <laughs> Gordon, tell us about the methods of transport. I think Transport for London has said that 90% of goods in London are moved by road. Um, what are the alternatives? There are not too many, um, and that depends on, on what you're going to buy and what needs to be delivered. In Germany, Deutsche Bahn or the train traffic is quite over busy with transportation, with delivery, but more for industrial goods, for chemical goods. But whatever you buy online in an e-commerce platform will be delivered by truck. So there is not a real option for other solutions. As DHL, Amazon, they tested some helicopters to deliver parcels to the proper house. 
but all those tests have been finished and cancelled and they still return to, to the trucks again. It is that amazing thing that everybody is talking about the possibility of drones being used as a delivery. Can anybody really sensibly envisage ordering a shirt and it arriving flying down the Kurfürstendamm Dam on a drone? What do you think, Raymond? You're absolutely right. It's it's hard to imagine. And, you know, you should never say never because we have seen many changes nobody would have expected. But under the current systems, I can hardly imagine it. And just imagine the traffic. It comes down the Kudam, too many drones. Maybe some people would try to catch the drones, you know, to get some stuff, maybe not for the T-shirt. But if they know that's an Apple drone, maybe delivering the newest iPad. So I see it definitely for rural areas. So there will be more deliveries with the drones. And maybe the drones could be an intermediate transport system to get maybe closer into the city. But they can hardly deliver. By the way, how should it work? You know, should I get an, a message on the app and then open my window and uh, the drone is flying into my window? I'm not sure whether it's going to happen. But we have seen other things suddenly making a step change and it's possible. But under current conditions, I agree with you, it's hardly to imagine. <laughs> and Gordon, how do we reconfigure our cities to make space for all these logistics demands? Are we looking at repurposing vacant retail spaces, old shops and turning them into pickup points? Absolutely. So it's not only empty retail shops, it could be anything actually. It could be the ground floor of a residential building and on top there are the other flats. It could be a part of a restaurant where you pick up your parcels. So the question is, you need a lot of such collecting points where you can get your parcels from and not only three or four stations in a city. And how does this affect your operations, Raymond, to think that a a space that used to be used for bricks and mortar to go and buy a dress will be a place where I will go and pick up a dress from that has been delivered by Zalando. You know, I we still believe in retail and I'm not so pessimistic about retail that you have now a lot of empty shops uh, in the future. So I think there will be collaboration between the different uh, platforms, how to, how to do it or the different ways to sell goods. I could rather imagine that the retailer plays a role within the delivery system that you can, you know, connect at retail, that you order stuff and you can pick it up in the shop. But it will happen in certain areas. If there is some empty space, then it's probably a good place. And it's Maybe not so much about the single store. I could more imagine the old department stores because that's a model out of older times and it's maybe not working anymore so efficient. And these buildings are actually really good models uh, to integrate into logistics because they have loading docks and everything else. They're very central. So there will be some transformation into you know delivery hubs or pick and collect. But the cities will not transform to something where every retail shop is a pick and collect. Gordon, looking right across Europe, which cities are moving fastest on all this? Well, the big cities have the biggest potential and, and they are already working on new strategies, how to combine new living, new working, new shopping, how to spend the, the leisure time. Asian cities are even further processed than European cities, but European cities, the bigger cities, they're getting faster again and inventing new solutions to to speed up with the Asian cities. Finally, let's deal with the issue of people. Unstable contracts, long hours, low wages, hard hours, and now burnout because of a lack of staff. Reports of the human element of the logistics journey are often troubled ones. 
Raymond, let's talk to you. The people who work with you, what are working conditions like for people who work for you? I'm really convinced that we have great working conditions for always considering what they have to do. You know, this is a warehouse and this is, of course, is a job where you have to pick and pack stuff and send it out. But I would say, they, you know, we try, first of all, we try to create a good environment for the people. We take it serious that they're a good relaxing areas. But you mentioned that there is no burnout or that they have at least time to, you know, to calm down and find some space, get something to eat and get a coffee. I basically think we are doing pretty pretty well uh, here. What about your working practices? You mentioned this at the beginning of, of today's show that you were talking about altering the way that people worked post-pandemic and also finding the right local people to work and not just work for a little while, but actually to retain workers because there's generally quite a high turnover of staff here, isn't there? There is, but we are also in the fortunate position that we are not so much seasonal. Of course, we also have a seasonal business, but it's more around Cyber Monday. And also, of course, the, when the seasons are starting, but it's we do not have such a change in the people we hire. And that's already a good thing. Some companies have to hire just 2000 people to get through the peak seasons through Christmas and then reduce the number of people working for them again. So we have a kind of a stable workforce working for us. And of course, we try everything with the environment, with payments bonuses. I really believe we do the maximum what we can do to retain people and also treat them with the respect. How much has the focus had to change now onto people in the last couple of years, Gordon, when clients are talking to you? I mean, there have been huge reports about just recently, lots and lots of haulage drivers, long distance lorry drivers, falling sick in the last couple of months because of shortage of people. But also the fact that there's been such a large focus on the environmental aspects of logistics that sometimes the human aspects can be forgotten, can't they? They have been forgotten in the past, but latest requirements, environmental requirements, bring the human being more in the in the front of a building. So there are a couple of well-being requirements we consider in, in our design of new buildings because it's very important that people feel happy and motivated and glad and remain healthy within a building. You talked a little earlier, Raymond, about the behaviour gap when it came to sustainability, that people want more sustainable items, but they want them cheaply. How much do you think that consumers need to be educated about the fact that if they want something really quickly and at the price that doesn't break their purse, they're going to be getting their products packed by someone who isn't really being paid to make a good enough living? I think as general as a society, we have to raise the awareness of this topic uh, because I think you're absolutely right. You have the topic also during the pandemic. There are all the, you know, the food delivery, you know, the bicycle couriers and everything. And uh, a lot of people moan or, you know, they're having a conversation about the working conditions of the people, but they are not hesitating to use the services. So they, they know it and still using it. I think that's just a normal human behavior. But at the same time, of course, we have to raise the awareness that everything comes for a price. So we, we can do everything as possible as Zalando to organize it. And of course, we would never accept that there are working conditions with, which are not bearable anymore. But however, we have also to release the pressure from the expectation pressure from the customers that they want to have everything in the shortest time possible because it, there is a price to be paid. And how worried are you, Raymond, about the scarcity of labor in the future, whether people will actually want to come and work in warehouses? And logistics. 
That's actually a good point, you know, and that's also something, you know, if, if you don't want to you change it for the good, uh, for the greater good. So, what, you know, what is our attitude, you know, to have us take a stand here? But there will be a need to do it anyway, because it's competition for the stuff and there is a scarcity of people. There is no doubt. And they have choices now. They can work for company X or Y so because there are more and more logistic and e-commerce companies and you have to provide the best work environment. So if, if it is not your own understanding of how to treat your stuff, what should be always the first thing to come, then it will be you're forced to do it because, uh, you know, the competition will get the workers and they will be like it is for white collars you will have the war for talents will be also a little bit in the in the logistic industry or in the manufacturing industry so what is it that you're doing to make sure that everybody comes and knocks on zalando's door and stays there the most important part is always that you respect people it sounds so easy but you know how you treat people in the warehouse and this you know they're they're humans and they're helping you i think that's one of the most important parts and as far as I can see, and whenever I'm in, a, in one of the warehouses, I think that's the, that's the case. Then, of course, you have to pay them accordingly and provide good conditions. But I would also not overestimate the conditions. Of course, it's important that there are nice break areas. I think it's also very important that people can get into the building and out of the building in a very fast way so that they do not have to go too far it's also how you set up the social facilities within the building. Let's move on finally to a quick fix to make sure that logistics succeed for absolutely everybody. Gordon, what would be your idea? You don't need to be the cheapest one or the fast one, but the most reliable one and the most sustainable one. I think that will become a big USP for, for logistic companies. You won't win with the cheapest building or with the cheapest design, but with the most fashionable sustainability strategy. Thank you very much indeed for that. Raymond, what would be your fix? So first of all, we th I think for logistics, we should also start to incorporate what is happening in the future, because we have seen the, the rate of changes accelerating, you know, everything, something new is coming up, new companies, new startups delivering new services. We are talking about autonomous driving, and that's probably something what we have to, you know, first push forward and second, think about it. What happens actually in 10 years if you have autonomous trucks, if you have maybe self-driving cars in the cities? Uh, what does it mean for the city centers? And and that's probably the biggest part for me in the logistics to to think ahead and anticipate changes what are going to happen and make it for the better. Don't just react what's going to happen, just build the future. Have sustainability in mind and try to make it as efficient as possible. And also for the cities, that there is not too much traffic coming into the city. So that's all the the points we have to solve and we should do it jointly. And by the way, I also think cities should play a bigger role in it. And working together with companies and having this kind of future planning committees, you're really looking into what is actually our target picture for the city in 10 or 15 or 20 years. I think that will be an important part as well. And that brings us to the end of today's programme. My thanks to Raymond Pitsman, VP Corporate Real Estate for Zalando, the online fashion retailer, and Gordon Maurer, Head of Logistics at Arcadis Europe. Thanks for having us. If you enjoyed that, then make sure you subscribe, search Arcadis wherever you get your podcasts to hear the other episodes in this special series at MIPIM. And follow Arcadis on social media to find out more about what we do. But for now, from me, Emma Nelson, goodbye. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>